We're diving in this morning. We're starting something new. Uh, we've wrapped up our Giants Eat Peas and Carrots series. Uh, we spent a good long while in Colossians, uh, in Philippians, and Ephesians, and in Galatians. Uh, but today we are launching into a new sermon series, a sermon series that we have titled Firing on All Cylinders. I've got some car folks in the building, uh, and so I'm not even going to try and describe how a piston works uh, and how fuel injection and fire and all that kind of stuff. To me, I'm just like, I turn the key, and there's an ignition, and it starter, right, Gary? Am I doing that right? And it, uh, it starts, and there's firing in the engine block. And it starts moving, or hopefully it starts moving. But we, as uh, English-speaking folks, we have a colloquialism, a phrase that we use when something is going well, when things are operating in the right order. Uh, we say it is firing on all cylinders. Uh, I once had a V8 Jeep Grand Cherokee, um, and I did not know how to take car care of my car uh, to the best of my abilities. Um, and I drove to the coast. And I knew the car was not doing too well, um, and I didn't realize it was bone dry on oil, uh, as I had had an oil leak uh, somewhere on the, the I-5. And by the time we cut over Elkton's Reedsport, hit the 101, I had no oil in my car, and my car was making the weirdest noises. And so as I continued to drive south from Reedsport to Brookings, it got louder. Then there'd be kathunks which I think is the technical term, a kathunk. Um, and then it would get even louder, and I would lose power, and I was like, what is happening? Like, I know there's something wrong, but I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I pull out the history books, and I'm like, I don't see this in here anywhere. <laughs> but by the time we got to Brookings, I pulled into the local mechanic, and I said, hey, there's something wrong with my car. Uh, I don't know what it is. Can you help me? I think I might be low on oil. And he looked at it, and he said, well, you have no oil. Uh, and you're currently, a V8, you're running on three cylinders. It's a miracle you got here. And I was like, well, yes, it is, because I live in Portland. I'm 500 miles away. Um, and so we got it all fixed, put some oil in it. It started firing on seven cylinders. I promptly took it to Gary when I got back, and he got me fixed. And then I sold that car. Um, <laughs> I changed my oil now, uh, and uh, I fire on all cylinders. And Today, we're going to dive into the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, our series through First and Second Thessalonians is called Firing on All Cylinders because Paul is writing this letter to a church uh, that is doing well. Things are in order. Paul is very excited, and he wants to encourage them to continue steadfastly in what the Lord has for them. So if you have your Bibles, pull them out this morning. We're going to be in First Thessalonians Chapter 1, and you ready for this? Verse 1. That's it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you... God, that you speak to us through your word. God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, you revealed truth to authors millennia ago. God, that as Paul was on his missionary journey, as he was spending several years in Corinth, that, God, you placed a burden and a pressure on his heart to write to the church that he had established in Thessalonica. And, God, that as he wrote a personal letter, 
You, by your Holy Spirit, using humanity, God, you weave the truth, the the eternal words of God into this letter. And so that when the church received this letter, they read it with authority. And that the church communities around saw it as scripture and as the Holy Spirit saw fit through your providence, God, this letter is passed down to us. And you, by your Holy Spirit, are speaking the same things you spoke to that little church in Thessalonica in 52 A.D. You speak to us today in 2022 A.D. God, we thank you for your word and that it is everlasting. And though the grass may fade and the lilies wilt, the word of God endures forever. So God, we pray that this morning you would speak to us through your word. Uh, God, we pray by your grace you would speak to us through socioeconomical geography and history and all sorts of those fun things that Pastor Matt likes to do when we launch a new book. God, that you would speak to us through that, that we would be encouraged. God, that as we embark on this new study through Paul's letters, God, you would reveal to us your heart for the church and that, God, we as the church, we would receive the implanted word of the Lord. And it would change us, it would transform us, it would form and fashion us, God, into a picture of what the bride of Christ is to be. And God, as we will see through our study, Paul focuses the church's eyes upon the return of Christ. God, so too we want to focus our eyes on you, looking for your return and not wasting time. So God, we pray that this morning you would speak to us and that we would be encouraged. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, all God's people said, amen, amen. A uh, little backstory, uh, not on the book of First Thessalonians, not on Thessalonica, uh, but on me, Pastor Matt, uh, and, and my preaching. First uh, Thessalonians is the first book of the Bible that I ever preached by myself. Uh, back in the day, it would have been 2010, uh, Pastor Dave and myself, we were co-leading our youth group, and we team-taught the book of James. We had finished up Romans, Pastor Dave was doing all the preaching, uh, and he said to me as I was in school to become a history teacher, he said, hey, you should get some practice talking in front of people. And I said, yes, I hate speech class. Uh, he goes, well, do you want to help teach the book of James with me? And I said, sure. And so we went every other chapter, we went through the book of James, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, it was a formational time for me. Uh, and then when we finished James, uh, my dad asked the youth group, and he said, hey, where do we want to go next? And they said, First Thessalonians, because it's long, it sounds funny. Uh, and without any dialogue or discourse, he then turned to me and said, you're going to be teaching the entire book of First Thessalonians, and you'll be teaching indefinitely from here on, I'm going to have Sunday nights off. And I was like, all right, Pastor Dave, get it. And uh, I hunkered in, and I learned what it meant to study God's word in a deeper form, a deeper fashion. Uh, and so I cut my teeth on First Thessalonians. Uh, this book holds a very deep and dear part uh, just in my spiritual formation. Uh, and this is now the fourth time uh, I've taught through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And I'm, I'm very excited because every time I study it, uh, I learn something new. Every time I, I, I read through this very short letter, uh, I, I learn a new aspect of Paul's uh, personality, uh, his focus, at why he says certain things the way he says them. Uh, and I love, I love, I love 
the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And so by way of that, we're going to do a little background in the book. Uh, and you've heard me say it now several times. But the author of the letter to the Thessalonians uh, is none other than Paul the Apostle. Uh, he wrote this letter. Scholars uh, determine he wrote it sometime between 48 A.D. and 52 A.D., depending on how one reads uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, who was leading, when were they in rulership, comparing it with ancient Roman doctrine. Uh, uh, documents, uh, but he wrote it sometime between 48 and 52 A.D., making 1 Thessalonians, uh, by most accounts, the earliest book of the New Testament. Uh, Paul, Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians uh, most likely before he wrote any other letter. There's a, mini uh, a minority group of scholars that think Galatians was written sometime between 47 and 48. If that's the case, then Galatians might be first. Uh, but most scholars would say Thessalonians was written first because Paul's tone and, and some of the key concepts that Paul talks about uh, in Thessalonians are different than any other subsequent letter of Paul. Uh, primarily, Galatians, Paul hits hard on the Judaizers and those who are trying to enforce religious and customary Judaism onto the church. Paul focuses on philosophical and Gnostic sort of ideas that are preeminent and in, in beginning to rise up in the church. But none of that is found in Thessalonians. And so many scholars believe Paul wrote Thessalonians first, his personal letter. He's hanging out, writing to a church that, that he loved and adored. And then by the time he writes Galatians within the next couple of years, his theology and his formation uh, and defense of Christianity has matured. And so then he begins to write some of these deeper concepts into Galatians and Ephesians. And so whether that's the case or not, we know this is one of the early letters, and that is important to help us understand even how Paul is approaching things here. Uh, where did Paul write this letter from? Uh, you might ask yourself, well, why does that even matter? Well, it does, because there's, there, there's some importance to this. Uh, author, uh, um, scholars believe that he either wrote it in Corinth uh, during his second missionary journey when he's staying in Corinth for, for some years. Others believe that he wrote this from Athens uh, within quick succession of, of when he left Thessalonica. As we're going to see in just a few short moments, uh, Paul was in Thessalonica for all of three weeks. He shows up in Thessalonica, no Christians, no synagogue. Like, it's, it's not a very hospitable place for Christianity. And with three weeks, he establishes elders, a, a thriving church. Uh, but Paul has to leave in a hurry. Paul has to get out of town, like, super quick because there's a giant mob chasing him and Silas. And so he leaves from Thessalonica. He goes to Berea, spends some great time in Berea, uh, but it's short time. Because a mob of angry Jews from Thessalonica come running down the road and they drive him out of Berea. So he has to leave and head all the way down to Athens. And so some believe that it is while he is in Athens, he writes this short letter, sends it back with Timothy uh, to Thessalonica. But it's important because it tells us where Paul's headspace is. Uh, the, those who believe that it's the Athens, those are the minority. There's only a few scholars that believe that. The majority of biblical scholars and ancient world uh, historians, they believe that Paul wrote this from Corinth amidst all of the things that were happening in Corinth. And if you remember the book of First Corinthians, uh, which is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, uh, our second Corinthians is really his fourth Corinthians because there's one in between, lots of fun stuff there. Um, but as he's in Corinth, he's dealing 
with a church that has some serious, serious issues. Uh, if you remember 1 Corinthians, you might like remember uh, sons with stepmothers and it was okay. The church was like celebrating. Like Paul's like, this is weird, man. This is not godly. We're shutting this down now. Um, and so scholars would say, while he's dealing with that in Corinth, he's reminded of this young church there in Thessalonica. And he's like, I think they're doing pretty good. He hears from Timothy they're doing well. And so he writes this letter to them. And we'll uh, address that in just a few short moments. But the audience of this letter is the young church at Thessaloniki. Uh, Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki as, as it is pronounced uh, in the Greek, uh, was a city that was built and established uh, by the Greek king Cassander of Macedon in 315 BC. It became a hub uh, of, of the Macedonian world there. It was named after Alexander the Great's half-sister Thessalonica, uh, or Thessaloniki, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, and it was a hub for Macedonian culture uh, in Alexander the Great's, uh, uh, those that came after him, Cassander being one of his generals. Uh, it, it grew to great prominence in the kingdom of Macedonia uh, by 168 B.C. And in 148 B.C., Thessalonica was made the capital uh, of Macedonia. Uh, and the Romans at this point had rolled in. They'd taken over Macedon. Uh, and Thessalonica became the Roman capital of the province there in Macedon. And under Mark Antony in 41 BC, it, it won its freedom uh, from the, 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 the Roman government. It became a free city uh, and it operated as a, as a center of trade for all of Macedonia, Anatolia, and was on the road bringing things from Turkey through Macedon into Greece and then subsequently into Rome. Uh, Thessalonica was a booming and a bustling city and it was a very important place to be. And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to read briefly uh, about Paul's time in Thessalonica, the establishment of the church, uh, why he had to leave, and a couple other things pertaining to that. This is what it says, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphilios and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as is his custom, went to them uh, for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These are those who have turned the world upside down and have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and are all, uh, these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things, so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, uh, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent to Paul and Silas and sent them away by night to Berea. 
And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were true. Therefore, many of those that believed, and also not a few of them, were Greeks and prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being preached by Paul in Berea, they came up also and stirred up crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go by sea. Both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted uh, uh, Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. Uh, So we have Paul. Again, in Thessalonica, three weeks. Three weeks. Now, in, in, in many cases, Paul is in churches or, or in cities for several years working with helping establish the church, speaking in the school of Tyrannus for three years. I mean, Paul liked to spend time and, and, and have uh, deep conversations with folks. But here in Thessalonica, they received the word of God greatly. They received it quickly. And Paul was beginning to mature Christians very fast in Thessalonica. And it was very encouraging to him. Except there were some folks that drove him out of town. What we'll see in this book is that the theme of this letter, uh, Paul is writing to them to stand strong in the Lord as we wait for the Lord's coming. You see, Paul, by the time he gets to Athens and he calls Silas and Timothy to him, uh, he gathers word a couple months later how things are going in Thessalonica. And as he makes his way from Athens to Corinth, he says, you know, I was only with that church for three months or or for three weeks. And, And because I wasn't with them long and because they're facing such great persecution, I don't know how they're doing. I need to find out if they're okay. And so Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to do a pulse check. And Paul was probably expecting to hear of a church that was wavering, to hear of a church that was struggling. He, he may have expected the church to have been shut down. But when Timothy arrives back in Corinth and delivers the word to Paul that the church is actually not just doing okay, but that it's thriving And that folks are operating in the gifts that the Lord had given them. They are growing. They're establishing more elders. Paul is just elated. And so Paul decides, I'm going to write this letter to encourage the church to continue in their firing on all cylinders. He he wants to encourage them uh, to be built up in what they have done. The purpose of this letter was Paul, leaving quick, was worried about the church. But he is super excited to find out they are doing well. Let's do a brief outline of of this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Uh, If you're taking notes, this would be a great place to to write these things and check back at them as we spend the next couple months going through these. Um, Because Paul is going to open the letter, uh, the, the real first section of the letter, Paul is encouraging and building them up in their faith and and commending them for the things that they have done. Uh, We'll see the second half. He wants to focus them in on some struggles that are occurring in the church. Maybe some false teachers have crept in. And Paul wants to refocus people uh, onto the things of the Lord and onto the return of Christ. But the first thing we'll notice in this book is that Paul opens it with a salutation, much like he always does. Me. Timothy, Silas, we write to you, we love you, grace and peace, all these great things that Paul says. And then he opens with a prayer of thanksgiving. 
I love it when we get Paul writing prayers down uh, because Paul, he prays so eloquently with such passion and with such love for the church. The second thing we see is Paul talks about his past interactions with the church, the, the time he spent with them, the blood, sweat, and tears he labored just in those few short weeks. He then will move on to talk about uh, Timothy's visit and he will, he, he will recap some of the things that Timothy told him. From there, he's going to jump into some specific issues that are occurring within the church or, or that could plague the church of the first century. He talks about what it means to have right relationship, brother to brother, sister to sister, husband to wife, parents to kids, folks to the religious and, and political governments around them. He talks about what it means to have right relationship among Christian brothers and sisters. He will go from talking about this to how we are to mourn our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died. You see, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, it's a young church that faced persecution. Remember, we just read in Acts chapter 17 that they were looking for Paul and Silas. They couldn't find Paul and Silas. So what did they do? They went to the next Christian they could see, dragged him out of his house, beat him, questioned him. Like the church was facing great persecution, there is a strong chance that some of the things the church in Thessalonica was struggling with when it came to their law, like, like, like their deceased brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in Christ, uh, they could have been folks who died in this persecution just a few short months earlier, and they were struggling with that. And so Paul will talk to them about what it means to mourn as Christians. The third thing that Paul uh, wants to speak to them about is he wants to prepare. on some things that are eschatological, things that pertain to the end times, uh, things that are probably very apropos for today and how we are to not focus on the things of this world, but we are to set our eyes on the things above. And that we are not just supposed to get caught up in the things of everyday activity, but we are to live each day as if the Lord could return at any moment. Paul will correct some false teaching regarding the Lord's return, uh, but we will look at that when we get there. And I'm very excited. This is, this is a portion of scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, chapter 5. I mean, there is some really good stuff in there. Uh, and if you enjoyed our time spending 10 weeks in Colossians, four chapters, 10 weeks, get ready for like 10 weeks on chapter 4 and 5. Uh, it's going to be good, right, Brother Jim? It's going to be good. The fourth thing is he says how Christians should behave, not just relationally, uh, but in general, how, how we ought to behave as followers of Christ in community. Uh, Paul, Paul really lays these things out. And then Paul, as he always opens a book with a salutation uh, and, and a prayer of thanksgiving, Paul is going to close this letter with a prayer for the church that they would be built up in their faith, that they would be steadfast in all that they do. And he gives them a closing salutation. But now we will reference back to this outline often uh, as, as we study through this because we see Paul's progression uh, and, and, and it, it's beautiful. He opens it with a prayer. He encourages them. Then he puts a bridge right in the middle with another prayer. And in that prayer, he refocuses from salutation, from encouragement, from greeting to, hey, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's talk about some things. Let's be encouraged because you're doing well and we want you to continue to do well. And then he closes it with another prayer. And I think that's so important to realize that Paul and even his communication with this church, it is bookended and in the dead center of it, it's prayer. Paul 
covers this letter in prayer. He covers this church in prayer. And that is encouragement for you and I to not only pray for the church, but to pray for one another. One key observation that I really want to point out uh, in this uh, study, this brief overview of the text. Uh, Paul ends every chapter. This, this letter is unique in that every chapter ends with an allusion to or a mention of Christ's second coming. Uh, the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ is on Paul's mind when he's writing this letter. And he wants the church in Thessalonica to know Jesus could show up. And he's not just going to come like strolling down the street, but like the heavens may open and Jesus may step down onto earth. Paul uses phrase that we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Like Paul is very focused in on the return of Christ. And this letter is unique amongst all of Paul's letter in that he hammers this down at the end of every single chapter. Now, we do need to remember that chapters were written uh, or, or, or were enumerated uh, much later uh, in, in, in the Middle Ages to help people like remember where they were in Scripture. They put numbers on it so that it would be good. But it's ironic, uh, or it's inspired by the Lord. Uh, you can choose. But Paul breaks each individual piece with refocusing folks' eyes on the imminent return of Christ. And I think this is super, super cool. All right, how are we all tracking on this? we got like three more minutes of overview. Then we're going to dive into some time at the Lord's table. We want to make some room for that this morning. Uh, but going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Um, I always find it so exciting to, to try and mine practical application from obscure portions of Scripture. Like, if you really want to have fun mining practical application, go to the genealogies and the books of Leviticus and, like, Numbers and be like, all right, Lord, what do you got to say for me here? Uh, because in all reality, he does because he doesn't waste words. Uh, and there's some great stuff in there. And Paul's intros and outros also have some great stuff. If you remember the outro from uh, Colossians, we talked about it last week, uh, we see that Paul had a posse. And that Paul surrounded himself with people who were all about the ministry. And there's practical applications from lists of names. There's practical application in just this first verse where he says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica uh, in God, the Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word grace there is, is the Greek word charis. That word peace there is the Hebrew word shalom. We need charis, we need shalom in our life. And in order to truly experience the peace of God, we must first experience the grace of God. And so you'll see that Paul positions grace before peace. And once we experience God's grace, we can begin to understand what true and real peace is in our life. And I think Paul positions this letter in such a way that he says, church in Thessalonica, you've experienced the grace of Jesus. You heard the scriptures, we reasoned with you, and you converted, you were compelled by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now amidst your persecution, amidst your trials and tribulation, you can now experience the peace of Christ. And, and, and it doesn't just stop there, but you can extend God's grace to people outside the church. And as they begin to experience God's grace through you, they can begin to experience peace. Now, until they fully submit to that grace, the peace will only be fleeting. But as they begin to get a taste of what real peace amidst chaos is, they'll lean into that grace a little bit more. 
just as you have. And I think the practical application for us is how many of us, we don't have to raise our hands. We can if we want to. We're Pentecostal. Get them both up. But uh, how many of us are facing trial and tribulation? Potentially storms and sorrow and chaos. We need peace. We need the peace of the Lord. And, and, and the Old Testament gives us these beautiful pictures of what the peace of God is like. How it, how it is so much more than what we can imagine. It passes all understandings. But the peace of God comes when we experience his grace. And often we find ourselves in times of turmoil and trouble. We know we are saved. We know we have tasted of the grace of Jesus. But we begin to focus on our hardships. And we can refocus in those hardships and begin to look down on ourselves that maybe I've brought this upon me or that, gosh, the world just sucks nowadays. And, and we focus on the wrong thing. But when we begin to focus on the grace of Christ, what he has done for us upon the cross, I love that we sang that song this morning, how deep the Father's love for us. When we realize and when we focus on the grace that we have received, peace begins to flow. And so maybe there's one, maybe there's two, maybe there's many of us here this morning that need the encouragement from Paul. Stop focusing on the hardship. Stop focusing on, on, on just the junk you're going through. Don't allow the enemy to bring condemnation and beat you up saying, you're the reason this is terrible. Because if you put your faith in Christ, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not the way the world sees you. It's not the way you used to see you. It's not the way the enemy sees you. It's the way God the Father sees you. And he sees you through Christ Jesus. And because you've experienced that grace, allow the peace that passes all understanding to flow from heaven. And Jesus told us this, John chapter 16, it's great. He says, it's better that I leave you. And everyone at church is like, wait, wait, Jesus said it's better that I leave. That doesn't sound encouraging. But he says, no, no, it's better that I ascend so that I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will bring you comfort, who will bring you peace. We've experienced the grace of Jesus. Now let's live in the peace that comes from his Holy Spirit. Amen?